passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another draft podcast on the Baseball America podcast feed. I'm Carlos Glazo, joined by Peter Flaherty. In this new year, our first draft show of 2024. We're recording this just a few days after New Year's. Uh, and I guess this is officially the second year of us on this podcast, Peter. I'm very much looking forward to it and glad to be back on the mic with you. How you doing? You and me both. I'm doing great. I had a great uh, Christmas and holiday season. It was filled with family, time with my girlfriend, a lot of college football, NFL uh, couldn't have been, couldn't have asked for a better week plus rejuvenation, but I'm really fired up to get back in the saddle. And I love the the jokes we can make about it being the new year and having it be year two. So <laughs> I'm I'm very excited. Yeah, absolutely. My my holiday was similar to yours, except with significantly less football. I'm sure. So hopefully you enjoyed that. <laughs> I, I actually nice... I caught an in person. I went in person. I went to a a primetime bowl game. Well, that's uh, more fun. My Where'd family. you go? It was between two future conference opponents, and I know what everyone's thinking. Uh, it's not or- Oklahoma and Arizona. I went to the Fenway Bowl, the Wasabi Fenway Bowl, at 11 a.m. on a Thursday Yikes. in the pouring rain and stayed for <laughs> dynamic warm-ups and through the trophy ceremony, but my Eagles came out on top, so well, it was congr- all worth it. Congratulations uh, to you on that one, Peter. I know you're following that one very avidly. <laughs> um you know, maybe I'll find something to love as much as you love your your BC Eagles football. But um, <laughs> I'm I love January, Peter. Here here at BA, this is your second January, right? We just weren't doing the podcast last year. Um, January's fun because I feel like in December, no, November, December, it's a lot of work on the prospect handbook. It's a grind. Like everyone's looking forward to the break. The break happens, and we come back, and I just love the fresh start to the year. Like looking ahead, planning content. Thinking about the college, like the college season is really right around the corner. Teddy, a few days ago, had a piece, 45 things to know about college baseball with 45 days to go. And I saw that number and like, it makes sense. I, I always know February 15th or so is around when we're rolling for college baseball. It's It's been the case for forever. But the 45 days aspect of it, I was like, man, we're really close. So I'm, I'm itching to get out to a field to see some of these players. Um, and I'm looking forward to a lot of the content we're, we're going to be putting out this year on the draft side, on the college side, and on this podcast specifically. It'll be fun to do this podcast regularly in a draft cycle. I'm, I'm looking forward to that very much so. But where are you at on just January in general? What, what's your hype level for college baseball? And are you, a, are you like a New Year's re- resolutions guy or no? 
I'm a I'm a 20 out of 10 on the excitement scale. Mm. I'm kind of the 20 out of 10 mentality. We need to not have used the the 10 scale though. That's a little. (laughs) I'm an I'm a 90 on the 2080 scale. There we go. There we go. I I should have said 100. That would have been way better. But (laughs) (laughs) I'm super fired up both for college baseball and all of the fun stuff we have planned. We had a big staff wide meeting yesterday and hearing all the stuff that we have planned both for January, February, March, April, the whole college cycle, the prep stuff, there's going to be so many rankings lists and pieces coming out that I'm excited to create and also read. So Mm. um, I'm very fired up. It was nice again to have like a little break, but once Christmas ended, I was kind of getting that itch to get back. So very excited to be back on the pod. I'm not a new year's resolution guy. Mm. Um, I, I more just kind of head into each year um just trying to continue to be a good person that's uh oh can't can't go wrong Love with that. it uh i gotta keep the uh keep my makeup solid and then um i think stuff just falls into place that's huge I, I definitely used to be a new year's resolutions guy i feel like now i like have kind of my systems in place i try to just continue plugging along there sharpen them up if needed but uh, there is just something refreshing about the new year um but yeah i'm really looking forward to college baseball one thing i wanted to talk about on this show before we got into some maybe like look ahead content and maybe uh, just refamiliarizing ourselves with the board our we, we released a, a 2019 redraft over the holiday and part of the reasoning for releasing it then was i've never really i've always wanted to do a redraft um part of it was just like getting some distance in between my first draft my first few drafts, I guess 2018 was kind of the first official draft I covered for BA. Um, but we did a 2019 redraft, and it, it's kind of a combination of getting far enough away from the drafts to feel confident enough about how players have panned out and also finding a spot in the calendar where it makes sense because a lot of our content uh, from like January to March is preseason content, college preview stuff. Um, looking at this, it, it just never feels like there's a great time to do the retrospective and review of the draft, which I always hated because I feel like it's super important. Um, Just because, again, like we talked about after the 2023 draft, it's very hard to analyze a draft class in the moment because you really just need to wait and and see. So it was fun to do this piece on the 2019 class, redraft, see where players would go, see if there were any takeaways. Um, but really what I think my biggest takeaway is like, even now, four and a half years later, five years later, there are a lot of players where I didn't feel super confident one way or another about who I would rather have. Um, we'll link to this piece in the show notes if you guys haven't seen it over the holidays. So maybe you can like follow along as we're talking through this, but I'm curious what you thought about the 2019 redraft. The 2019 class specifically looks way better now than it did at the time. Um, is basically known as like this strong top six group of players headed by Adley Rutschman and Bobby Witt Jr. And after that, it really got criticized for lack of depth. Um, some of the worst college pitching prospects the industry had seen in quite a long time. And I think even with just maybe just George Kirby, the class has been better on that front than anyone could have expected. But Nick Lodola has been solid. Alec Manoa was a Cy Young candidate. Um even though his career has been a little bit more up and down. But do you have any thoughts at all on the 2019 redraft, uh, the process in general, or, or who you would take um, with with hindsight? Yeah, I mean, I was going to say it was a really interesting piece that you put out, um, I think, reading through it and your rationale for each. Um, it was a good refresher for me. And then obviously, as you said, and 
and put it perfectly, it, the talent in this class is is very impressive. And at the top, I would find it really hard to debate Adley at one. And then after two, three, four, like with two, three, four, I felt there's an argument to be made for, I thought any one of those guys in, yeah. in their respective spots um, with, I think it was, uh bobby witt to yep. bobby witt jr um i had the white Sox with corbin carroll and, and then gunner. the marlins with gunner henderson yep yeah i mean i thought you could shuffle them any which way you've got the rookies of the year with with gunner and corbin and the al and nl respectively and then bobby witt i mean he's a he's a stud in his own right he went i i think it was 30 it hit 30 bombs and stole 49 bags this year at 276 um he's an outstanding player and then george kirby obviously kind of headlining the pitching class and Mm. um he's been he's been excellent in his first couple of big league seasons so um i thought it was an interesting list i thought the what i thought was most i don't want to say funny because that's not the right adjective but i was it it was cool seeing or, or interesting to see you having the Rangers take Riley Green instead of Josh Young. I'm sure that's <laughs> yeah. where, like, the comments on, like, Instagram were probably, like... You know, Rangers fans were really pissed about that, actually, and I didn't really think too much about... Like, there were a couple players, like, going through this where I just happened to put the player they initially took at that pick uh, and then moved off of it. Like, I think my first draft, I had Daniel Espino actually going to the Guardians or, or the Indians at the time. I didn't even really think of Josh Young with the Rangers like I I think it's perfectly defensible if you wanted to have young uh, I have him right now nine to the Braves one spot later but I think it makes all the sense in the world if you wanted to put him at eight Uh, I really just thought Riley Green when healthy just flash a ton I think he's got a lot of upside moving forward but Rangers fans certainly were not happy with me that I did not have them taking Josh Young again I also like for the sake of the piece though like shuffling it a little bit and not going full chalk because (laughs) I mean, for the sake of the exercise, like it is fun to think of like how Riley Green would fit in the Rangers system and how Josh mm-hmm. Young would fit. Um, I think it was you had him to the Braves, um, but like Riley yeah. Green again, like his good flashes and and his flashes are really freaking good. And he had a productive season in his own right. Yeah. Um, I think he hit two eighty eight with thirty five or so extra base hits. Mm-hmm. Um, good defender in the outfield. Like he's going to be an impact big leaguer. Um, and I get the recency bias with both how productive young was in the regular season and then also how excellent he was in the postseason and a cornerstone on a world series winning team. But hmm. Bradley green's a really good player. And then Volpe with the giants. Um, it'd be, that would be a really dynamic left side of the infield with Casey Schmidt. If you move him back True. to third where he was, cause you're, you're basically looking at a shortstop at third and then Volpe's Volpe is hmm. Volpe. Um, he's not seeing defender. Um, I really like the offensive profile at the plate and what he projects to be. So um, it was yeah. fun for a minute to envision what they would look like, especially Gunner on the Marlins too. Being a Marlins guy, uh, he'd be he'd be a big time piece for him. So yeah, they could use a bat. What's interesting with the redraft in general, and I guess that pick specifically, Marlins and Gunner Henderson, is I don't really know how much credit like uh, of the 100 percent of credit there is to divvy up between the player himself and player development like coaching obviously i would imagine a large majority of the credit goes to the player but there is something to baltimore's hitting development and the marlins have really struggled on that front whether it's player evaluation or hitting development within miami system so like thinking about whether or not gunner henderson would even be the player he is today had he been drafted by the marlins 
is another really interesting one to me because I, I just do think Baltimore has something figured out given all the bats they produce. Now, granted, they've, they've picked a lot um, at the top of the draft. They've had access to elite talent, but Miami has as well, and, and the players they've taken just haven't quite panned out quite quite as well. And again, like Henderson was initially drafted with the 42nd overall pick in the second round. Um, so certainly the Marlins would love to have an impact hitter like this in their system. But I think it's interesting too, circling back to a few things you touched on, you could make a case that the Orioles have the number one and number two best players in this draft. And that in and of itself is just kind of ridiculous. Like I, I think that there's a chance Bobby Wood Jr. in five years winds up being the best player of this group still. And I'm, I've forever been the highest on Bobby Wood Jr. But it, like you said, initially, it's hard to go with anyone other than Adley Rutschman. He's produced the most war of any of these players so far. He was the top pick then. He's maybe already the best catcher in baseball. Um, just very easy to put him there. And then, like you said, Gunnar Henderson could easily have gone too. I wanted to go back to Volpe at 10 as well because Anthony Volpe and C.J. Abrams, I struggled placing one versus the other. And I initially, I just went back to a higher confidence in Volpe's defensive work at shortstop than C.J. Abrams. But I, I will admit, I am more skeptical on both of these players uh, with their offensive profiles. Um, neither have been above average hitters yet. It's obviously very early. CJ Abrams has a chance to be a dynamic base runner. Um, but I, I still wonder like which of these players you'd rather have moving forward. And I'm curious where you're at with, with Abrams at this point. Yeah, no, I, I think it's a really interesting debate because you mentioned in what I think if I were doing this exercise too, what would have Volpe over Abrams for me would, would be the defense and the mm -hmm. confidence to play an impactful shortstop position going forward. And, and Volpe showed he was able to do that and step in it, year one as the starting shortstop for the New York Yankees as a 21-year-old a kid, mm -hmm. um, which is, I think is incredibly impressive. And, I mean, he's a gold-glove caliber defender. Um, and I, I do think that he is better offensively than what he showed this year. Um, I think that the power was a pleasant surprise. The fact he was able to hit 23 doubles and 21 bombs, um, pretty high K rate. But again, he's while Abrams, I think has the raw speed and maybe more of a dynamic base runner. Um, Volpe is extremely advanced baseball sense. Um, he's at least a plus runner in his own right. Um, he's going to impact the game plenty on the bases. Mm. Um, and so I'd, I'd probably lean, I'd go Volpe. I'm a really big Anthony Volpe fan. Go, even just going back to when, gosh, at this point, I think he was maybe even just 18 or 19 years old. And he spoke to our area code team um, when I was an associate scout with the Yankees and on that area code coaching staff. Um, we, the Matt Hyde, who, who runs the whole show and he's the Northeast area supervisor for the Yankees. Now um, he brought in Volpe to speak to the team and just, kind of the makeup and the headspace that he had, even at such a young age was really, really impressive. And I think the, the best word to describe him is he's, he's a winner. Um, and, and I'm always going to be a big fan of him as a player and also a person, but um, long winded answer short, I'd, I'd probably go Volpe right now, but yeah, man, it's close I'd, with, with him and Abrams. Yeah, no, it's interesting to think through that one. Um, a few other takeaways or, or, or things I wanted to mention about this redraft. I don't really think back on the Twins drafts and think, man, that they've really hit it out of the park because Keone Kavako in this draft in the first round 
was a bit of a whiff. And then Aaron Sabato in the first round was also not a great first round pick. But I think looking at some of their later round picks and some of the players who have um, just been really impressive, uh, especially when you consider their draft capital, shows you like you can still win a draft by even even obviously you want to hit on your first round pick. But the draft is not over on day one. I know the, the coverage of the draft falls off quite a bit after day one. It can be a bit of a slog, but there are a lot of really good players who are going to be drafted after the first day. It's so important to have like faith in your scouts after that point to make these decisions on players, like getting some of the guys uh, that they got further down, Edward Julien, Louis Varland, 15th and 18th rounders. Um, I mean, Matt Walner was not a super late pick, but he's included in this redraft. Um, Spencer Steer, uh, Spencer Steer and Edward Julian, I have them both in the top 15 here. That was a, a third rounder and again an 18th rounder with Edward Julian. Like, those are some really savvy picks. I think the Twins have done a nice job in recent years, not even going beyond the 2019 draft, of getting some good value with college pitching in later rounds. That shows up in their top 30 in their farm system right now. Uh, so it, it seems like they're one of the teams that have done a nice job in these later rounds. Um, and then one other one I had for you, Andrew Vaughn being at 21, um, it, it kind of just emphasizes how how much you have to hit as a first baseman to warrant going as high as Andrew Vaughn did. He originally went number three overall. He was ranked third in the draft class at the time. I don't know if like the number three spot specifically was consensus, but he was certainly consensus top six player in that elite tier for the industry. But thinking about Andrew Vaughn now and thinking about Spencer Torkelson in the 2020 draft uh, a year later, it just has me a bit more scared on that profile than maybe I would have been four years ago. And it also makes me look towards our 2024 list right now and seeing Nick Kurtz uh, at number one in that. And I'm, I'm wondering, man, like, do we really want to go with a first baseman this high again at the same time loving Nick Kurtz's hitting ability and power, but the bar to clear offensively at that position in the major leagues is just so high. You you absolutely have to be the hitter you are advertised as. Yeah, it's a high one. And I think that it, it's an interesting hypothetical because you have torque going one, one and then Andrew Vaughn who went third and, and Vaughn had, I, I think what was his most productive season um, to date as a big leaguer this year. Um, and then Torkelson also kind of found a groove as well. But you're talking about with them two like six feet, six foot one right-handed hitters with Kurtz, you've got a six foot five left-handed hitter. Um, and I think that the, the offensive profile is on par, if not better than both of them, maybe not as dominant as like a Torque was or, or, or maybe even Andrew Vaughn. But I mean, he is, again, he's, he's won one for a reason. And then, D- defensively Kurtz is he's super nimble over around the bag at first he moves really well for his size he's pretty soft on his feet we talked about it a lot but like you could use him and throw him in a quarter outfield spot and he'd hold his own that I he will not play there unless it's a severe pinch both obviously at wake and then p- professionally um but like that's that's how clean of a mover and how good of a mover he is but again like it, you are going to really, really have to hit and, and rake like 
there there is a reason why Vaughn went 21 in your redraft. So yeah, well, um, what's interesting too is like I think both these players could be solid players. They might even be like solid average players now. That but they've both only been like close to league average hitters in their best seasons, and they're still young. I mean, Andrew Vaughn will be entering his age 26 season. Spencer Torkelson is going to be entering his age 24 season. So there's a chance they're still kind of nearing their peak years. But let me run down some of the first round college first basemen in recent years and tell me what you think of this list and i'm going to start off with um spencer torkelson and jacob berry they were both selected as third baseman i'm counting them as first baseman for this they played first base in college they play mostly first base in pro ball um i need to make sure that's the case for jacob berry actually i think he's he's played more third than i expected but either way jacob berry sixth overall in 2022 spencer torkelson won one in 2020 all right now switching over to the college first baseman we got nolan shenwell 11th overall in 23, Aaron Sabato, 27th overall in 2020, Andrew Vaughn, 3rd overall in 2019, Michael Toglia, 23rd overall in 2019, Brendan McKay, a bit different there given the two-way factor, but he went 4th overall in 2017, Paven Smith, 7th overall in 2017, Evan White, 17th overall in 2017, Chris Shaw, 31st overall in 2015, Casey Gillespie, 20th overall in 2014, those are all the college first basemen that are popping up on our draft database in the bonus pool era. That list does not excite me at all, Peter. <laughs> it's a it's a murky list. Like the verdict is probably still out on on Torque and Vaughn. Like I think, and even least... Jacob Berry, I would give him yeah. a little bit longer of a leash. But the like his stock is significantly lower than it was prior to the draft. Yeah, there's there's absolutely work to be done um, for Barry. But like you said, that's a it's it's a pretty thin list and like again with with Vaughn and Torque like there's certainly all-star potential there I wouldn't be shocked in the slightest if either selected to an all-star game at some point but again though like you're gonna have to feel really really confident in pounding the table um for a college first baseman and granted like Nick Kurtz is probably the guy to do it for um whether or not he goes 1-1 um barring something pretty unforeseen I'd say he's a pretty slam dunk bet to go in the first 10 or so picks mm-hmm. um but again like you're gonna have to feel really really confident in his ability to hit which i feel like that at that at this point <laughs> like there's one thing and it's it's annoying that it's always kind of like itching my brain when talking about kurtz i wish just at, at some point he played in the cape even if it was for two weeks or he yeah. played with usa or he did anything with a wood bat and it's not a knock on his stock that's not going to affect where i have him in my own personal draft database and my own board, mm. but it's like, man, I really wonder. But that what have done. that is a really good point because we're talking about the position, the amount of conviction you need to have in the hitting ability for a first baseman, and that added track record with a wood bat against that sort of competition in those evaluation periods is super important in general. And if we're talking about a profile that, like, if you don't hit, you just aren't valuable at the major league level. If he had gone and torn up the cape, if he had gone. Uh, and just been the best player on the field with USA Baseball, like it would make you feel a little bit better. And I feel great about Nick Kurtz's hitting ability right now, but I also felt really good about Jacob Berry's hitting ability. Um, so I'm just maybe going to push the brakes a little bit more on first base profiles overall. Uh, and I'm really curious to see how the industry will will view this one uh, moving forward throughout the spring. Um, did you have any other takeaways through this? I mean, there are some winners and losers. We have that supplemental piece on the site. I put the the Orioles. I mean, I think it's an excellent draft. The D-backs had a ton of picks uh, this year. They had seven picks in the first 75. 
selections, uh, and they went about 50% with their top 10 round picks. So that was huge for them. Obviously, Corbin Carroll being a top five pick and going 16th overall is a coup. I had the Twins as a winner, given some of their late round picks, and despite Keone Kavaka in the first round. And then I also had the Mariners and the Tigers as winners in this draft. Uh, the Mariners with um, George Kirby, Brandon Williamson, Isaiah Campbell, Levi Stahl, a bunch of big leaguers, the Tigers. Um, they had a few late picks that were impressive. Kerry Carpenter. Um, they have a big leaguer in 11th rounder, John McMillan. He didn't sign with them, uh, but he reached the majors of the Royals. So it's not full credit for them, but um, good haul for the Tigers too. Yeah, I mean, as a whole, I thought the piece was really fun to read and, and interesting to think about, and it, it created a bunch of hypotheticals in my head. And I highly suggest anyone listening to, to give it a read because it's it's a it's a great one. Well, thank you, Peter, um, and appreciate you guys if you if you check it out on the site. Um, but let's look ahead towards 2024, this spring, this college season. Do you know where you're heading yet early in the college season? I, I'm thinking I might be going back to Texas for the first week for the Shriners College Showdown. I'm not sure exactly what they're calling it, but um, that has been a really good tournament. And last year I saw a ton of good players, and I, it's not locked in. I still need to probably solidify the first few weeks maybe first month few months of of the season for me for travel but uh i am excited to start looking at some schedules and, and figuring out where the, the spots to be are yeah that'll be a good one i think this year for shriners you'll get arkansas oklahoma state michigan and, and oregon state so like you'll get bazana Benj, mm. hagan smith um really that whole arkansas it's funny that hagan smith will be back again because i seen oh, him last yeah. year as an underclassman he just shoved uh, so this year in his draft year, it'll be fun to see him. And obviously getting Bazana will be huge. It's very hard to get out to Oregon in general. Like I don't think uh, in 2019 I saw Adley at all in the spring. I saw him in the summer with Team USA, but uh, just it's harder to get out into the Northwest, I'd say, for compared to others. Like Typically I find myself in SEC country, I guess. And you'll get him good too against like against Hagen Smith or however the schedule lines up. Probably, mm-hmm. I mean, you'll get him hopefully against one of Hagen Smith, Brady Tigert, or Mason Molina. Um, and then with Oklahoma State, like you'll get Benj. Michigan has a couple of interesting underclassmen with Mitch Voigt and Jonathan Kim. Um, but that's a loaded field. Where I'm headed, I plan on heading to, to Scottsdale for the MLB tournament. Um, I think it was previously like the MLB 4. Um, I think it's just the MLB Desert Classic this year. I could be wrong on the name. But mm. I'll get Kansas State and Cal, who are kind of the headliners from a prospect standpoint. So I'll get... Tyson Neighbors, Kalen Culpepper, Caleb Lomavita, Rodney Green um, with them. And then I'll also get a look at Grand Canyon and, and Zach York, who's a who's an interesting 25. The bat is is very real with him. Um, and they've also got a, a very fun crop of freshman arms, um, Grand Canyon does. And then Ohio State has a couple of, of, of fun wings as well with Gavin Bruni and Landon Beetlesheys. Um, and then... BC I'll get USC I'll also see with Austin Overn so I hope to be leaving with a lot of good looks at, at these higher end prospects and then getting dipping my toes into the water with with the 25 guys a little bit and refamiliarizing myself with them um, after I saw them over the summer yeah I was just scanning down our our board currently when you were talking about some of the players that we're going to be able to see in the next few weeks and I think of the top 50. I believe I've seen every player in person except for Caleb Lomavita, and I I can't remember if I saw Ben Hess in person. Hess was a rare get. 
uh, like I, I think I know his season got cut short last year, so it 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 would have added to kind of the difficulty around seeing him. But yeah, I'm trying to think if uh, there would be any if I would have seen him like as a high schooler. But I think that this might be one of the better one of the better years for me in terms of players I've seen in person. Because like 48 out of our top 50 seems well above average, unless I'm just like underselling how much I get to see these guys throughout the showcase season as high schoolers and like USA. Um, but that makes me feel because typically there are a couple key players that I like haven't seen. Oh no, the you know the one that I haven't seen in person is Bizana. So that that makes the the Texas event even better for me. So I can get I can get the Peter and Jeff Travis Bizana hype um, <laughs> and, and get on your level. I don't want to. I don't want to stick unfair expectations on him or or, or anything Too like late, that. Too late, my friend. I think you're going to be blown away <laughs> leaving Texas by what you see. He is, he's the real deal, Holyfield. But no, I'm. I, you've got me beat for sure with 49 out of 50. Probably will end up being 50 out of 50. Um, but if we expand it to even 65, I'd I'd ding a lot of guys on the hmm. 50 to 60 portion with seeing them on the Cape, but. Over the over the Christmas break and, and holiday break, I was on a little bit of a a sophomore eligible draft kick, so to speak, and, and mm. digging into these the sophomore eligible class because there are a bunch of interesting ones. I, I think the one that that really stood out for me that I did a deep dive on was Tennessee outfielder Dylan Drying. Um yeah. he, he ended up hitting his way into an everyday role last year for Tennessee. Um, posted a very respectable slash line of 295, 433, 621 with 15 extra base hits, uh, more walks than Ks. The approach really stands out. He's a super strong, like wiry, like built kid, like at 5'11, 197. Not to sound like a creep, but like I went to his Instagram, <laughs> and, like zooming in on his forearms, like his forearms are, are jacked and super <laughs> vascular. And like he is like, I'm not going to word it like this when writing a report and, and maybe I will, and maybe I should have, but like, he's, <laughs> he's just jacked, like yeah. he's jacked at 5'11, 197. Um, I really like the operation in the box. He's got plus bat speed. Um, I think like this fall, he popped a, a one fifteen exit velo in a game. I think it was a scrimmage against Virginia tech. If it wasn't Virginia tech, I'm sorry for, for them catching a stray, but he posted an in game one fifteen and, with with the bat speed coupled by that seemingly added impact, I I'm pretty excited about what he might be able to do from a mm. production standpoint this year. Um, and then also like the swing decisions are really good. Um, the overall chase rate last year was only 19%, and then the bat to ball skills are are above average, borderline plus. Like last year's his overall in zone contact rate was 89. Um, it was 90 against fastballs, and and he's just got a really good feel for the barrel and. Um, defensively, he's really improved, and and he'll be able to stick in the outfield. It might be left field, which is a little bit of a. Do you know where we're expecting him to play this spring? It seems like Tennessee always has some fun outfielders for us to watch, and I'm I'm just looking at the video that you posted with your. There's a Peter has a nice post on Twitter here breaking down kind of a lot of the stuff he's talking about here. If you want to check that out, uh, you can also get um, a, a good look at the swing here, and it's it looks pretty fun. So I'm excited about Dreamling now as well. Yeah, he's a fun one. I think like. Again, he's a sophomore eligible a sophomore eligible kid. I think like right now he's a top five rounder, but I would not be shocked if he really pops off at Tennessee this year and plays mm. his way into like a top three round type, like 
late day one might be a little bullish, but like top three to four rounds, hmm. um, I could see him going there um, for sure. Are there any players that you're most excited to see, or are there any teams that you're most excited to see this spring? Obviously, you you give us the the college competition dynamic on this podcast as well. And like outside of Wake Forest, we all know Wake Forest is loaded. Um, what other teams do you think are the most like prospect laden entering the spring for college? Because for me, the college season is always great because most of the summer is spent focusing on the high school players. In college, I really feel like I can get in the weeds and, and re-familiarize myself with college players that I haven't focused on in a while or just being exposed to them for the first time. So it's always a, a fun experience for me, and I feel like you are kind of well ahead of me on the college side. So which which teams, which players are you most looking forward to seeing? So you hit on it first with Wake. We've got three in the top ten right now. Um, but that, surprise, surprise. <laughs> <laughs> but surprise, surprise, LSU is going to be really good again. Um, yeah, you've got Tommy – Tommy White, Thatcher Hurd, um, Gage Jump, uh, Luke Holman, um, even some of their supplemental pieces like Jared Jones, Josh Pearson. Um, they've got a strong freshman class with Cameron Johnson being the headliner um, and some other guys projected to make an impact right away. Um, they're going to be a, a, a premium get for anyone this spring, and they're, they're going to have so much heat following them on, on, a, on a week-to-week basis. Um, they're going to be really good again, um, both from a team standpoint and then also from a, a draft prospect standpoint um, as well. And then in thinking elsewhere, Arkansas's rotation is really intriguing. And I think that they're rather underrated in, in my mind, just because you talk about these stacked rotations with Wake Forest, with Hartle, um, hmm. Massey, and... Gosh, I don't know why I'm blanking on the lot. Chase Burns. So, yeah. yeah, Burns, Burns, Massey, and Hartle. Um, and then Iowa with Morgan, Brecht, and Obermuller. I think that those two get a lot of the shine, and rightfully so. But Arkansas is right there in that, like, three-headed monster territory. And I know that that they think that's what they have, and, and, and rightfully so, with Brady Tigert, who will hopefully be healthy for the whole year. Um, yeah, his, his year-over-year improvement with walks was really impressive his freshman year in 2022 he walked five batters per nine as a full-time reliever he had six starts and four appearances out of the bullpen in 2023 just 25 innings but he cut the walk rate from five per nine in 22 to 2.8 per nine in 23 and like virtually every pitcher in this class on the college side the strikes are going to be a question and that step forward in a partial season last year was really loud and he has really exciting stuff so if he's able to just put it across the plate more often i imagine he's going to be moving up boards especially if he can hold down that starter role yeah if he can prove himself you hit on it at the end if he can prove himself as a starter and stay healthy and continue to to show that advancement he made in the strike throwing department that's a day one guy in my mind if he's able to do that um and then mason molina is another one that right now he screams like back end of the rotation workhorse innings eater but like the stuff is sneaky with him like 6-2 lefty fastball will sit like 89-92 bump a three but he stays behind the baseball really well and last year he averaged over 19 and a half inches of of ivb on the fastball it helps it play up especially when elevated and it's an advanced arsenal he's another guy that the pitchability is advanced with him and 
I think he's a fun arm. I think he's going to be a really safe, like pretty high floor type pick on early in day two, three to three to five, four to six kind of makes sense for him right now. Probably more four to six, but, and then obviously you've got the headliner with, with Hagen Smith and, and you saw him last year. You'll see him again. It's, it's an electric arsenal and he was reportedly up to a hundred this fall. Um, that slider is, is a legit plus pitch as well. Um, and then he also flashed a Heidi's changeup that I'm pretty excited about and, and, and excited about its future. And he allegedly put on, I was listening to an interview. I forget where I heard it, but I was in, listening to an interview with, um, with the, with, with coach Thompson from Arkansas. And he was talking about how Hagen Smith, put on i think 10 to 15 more pounds of muscle oh, um this offseason so like he like coach thompson said like he is a horse or i think it was coach hobbs but um coach hobbs was saying you know he's like a legit horse now and, and i'm excited to see what he looks like come february you know another player that you're probably going to see week one who i'm a bit jealous of is caitlin culpepper at kansas state like looking into him more and getting some feedback on scouts this offseason about defense, like he's an intriguing hitter to me. I'm curious what you think about him at this stage. Yeah, I I saw him over the summer. I saw him like for two games, so it was a minuscule sample size. Like, yeah, I saw him looked, with USA Baseball a bit, but I feel like he kind of went under the radar a little bit for me with all the other guys I was seeing more more frequently. Yeah, like it. It's an exciting blend right now of of speed and athleticism. Um, and, and I think over the summer, he made a, a few tweaks, tweaks to his swing. He got a little bit deeper in his base, um, pull his handset in a little bit tighter to the body and a slightly more open front side. Um, but the bat speed is plus, I really like how he rotates and, and he really finishes his swing. And by that, like, no one's going to see it, but like, I'm like rotating all the way around and like finishing my swing and really, really finishing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's, it's good to work. And I, I think that this spring he's going to make the move from from third base to shortstop that was formerly held down by nick goodwin um a draft pick this summer but when i saw him this summer um i i liked what i saw defensively he's got soft hands the actions are pretty clean he does a good job of working around the baseball um and the arm is a legit 60 whether you stick him at short or third um no matter where he ends up professionally that arm is a six on the left side of the infield Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that's really enticing as well. And right now, like for me, he's a middle of day one type guy, but I mean, that first weekend, he's going to have a lot of heat on him and like high ranking heat as well. You're going to have obviously area guys and then, but they're going to be cross checkers and directors there for sure. So he's going to have a, a big time chance to, to start the season off on a right foot on on the right foot. Another name that I'm excited about who is I, I should be seeing plenty of just given where he's playing at, but it's Virginia first baseman and catcher Ethan Anderson. I'm curious what, what your opinions are on him because he did not play well in the Cape this summer with Harwich. He hit 195, 253, 293 in 22 games. So a reasonable sample. Still 22 games in baseball is, is never uh, a lot. Um, but I just consistently talk to scouts who love this kid. His track record in production at Virginia is significantly better than that brief cape stint he hit 302 403 497 uh in 2022 as an 18 year old he jumped from five home runs that season to 15 home runs in 2023 he improved across the board in the triple slash categories especially the power as you'd expect from the home run total he hit 375 469 649 
Again, 15 homers. He went from 12 doubles to 26 doubles. Um, so the performance in the ACC is good. Uh, I'll be curious what the defensive valuations of him are, like where people are profiling him in pro ball. But he, he seems like a guy who everyone I talk to just seems to like. And and that's another player that, again, I should be able to see a decent amount of time just given the fact that Virginia is only a couple hours down the road. Yeah, like he's an interesting one. And I'm willing to kind of give him the benefit of the doubt on the lack of, of K performance. Obviously, hmm. you can't not take it into account. And, and I know that I'm sure he wish he had a better showing this summer. Um, but he's hit everywhere he's been, whether it was as a high school senior in the Futures League with Vermont when he hit 427 or his true freshman year at UVA or this monster sophomore year that he just had at UVA. And even, and I think in his four-game stint in, in national team training camp, he had a, a solid showing. I think it was like four for 11 is what I saw. So, I mean, he's hit everywhere with the Cape being the exception. Granted, the Cape is where he's faced the best pitching and in the highest end talent. So hmm. it's obviously tough, but I mean, I, I, I do like the offensive profile. I think that power wise, it's above average, um, closer to plus than a 55 from, from the pull side. It's the swing from the pull side is geared a little bit more towards creating loft and leverage. Um, and that's where the majority of the juice comes from. Um, but I really like the feel for the barrel and the bat to ball skills. And like he, he crushes heaters. Uh, I think last year he hit 396 against 92 plus. Um, and like, I think right now, like when you get him at his best, you could, you could leave the yard with a, a six on the hit and a 55 on the power and, and, reality it's probably 255s across the board so like if you're picking at the top of the board yeah i want that hit power if that's what it is i'm i'm excited about that <laughs> yeah like I, I i i might be a little bullish on it but it's probably 55 55 um or 55 50 mm. um but like if you're not picking at the top where you've got kurtz and caglione and granted those two are really impossible to replicate if i'm picking in the middle of the second round mid to late second round and, and Ethan Anderson's on the board or even in the early third, early part of the third round and Anderson's on the board. Like that's a really good get for mm -hmm. where you're drafting him. So I, I, I'd be shocked if he's not, if he doesn't have a really productive year at UVA again, it's weird in talking about all of these juniors and draft eligible guys, because for outside of an external pressure standpoint, like the hardest part of their competition is done because you're talking about guys who played in this played on the played on the Cape in the summer or with USA. So they just got to, they, they kind of just have to keep doing what they're doing collegiately. Um, so I, I feel confident in Anderson to do that. Hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, any other players uh, or topics you want to hit on before we get out of here, Peter, I don't, I don't have too much more I want to get over. I'm mostly just excited to keep doing this podcast throughout the year and actually like, ready for games to get going we're gonna have like six podcasts before we actually have games so we're gonna have to find some stuff to talk about i know you and me both we might uh potential spoiler alert but we could oh on a weekly basis we could cover like a different position or like a mm. category or, or yeah, a specific tool um which could be fun but one other guy that i think could really soar up boards is um uc san diego right-hander ryan Forcucci. um i actually got a text from an advisor on him way back last fall, fall of 2022, 
um saying like this guy's for real kind of tipping me off a little bit mm. um but i love the fastball it's 93 95 but it's been up to a six and a seven i love the shape of it it's got big time riding life through the zone and a 24 percent miss rate which was solid last year um i'd say it's a comfortable 55 um type of pitch it it, it jumps out of the hand and then he's got advanced feel for a midity slider um he manipulates the shape well from what i've seen on video um it's got late bite and, and sharp two-plane break it's it's also above average i think the the key for him is just going to be the continued development of a third pitch as as is the case with all of these guys that are looking to establish themselves as bona fide starters but yeah with Fercucci, like he's a great mover the, the the delivery is really clean and easy um low effort like he screams like he screams solid three starter. Um, eventually, that's what type of upside I think he has. Um, and I think again, he's a guy out west that I think is really going to turn some heads. And he's got. I, I I think I tagged him in my tweet as a top or, or stuck the top five round label on him. But mm. I mean, I I think he's got a chance to go closer to the third than he does the fifth, and a potential dark horse at this point to maybe be like a late late day one guy but like right now for me he's he's third to fifth comfortably nice well i know one thing there's not a lot that i do know but i know one thing there will be a lot of shuffling and a lot of movement on this draft board throughout the spring that's the case every year it is particularly the case this year um and just seeing who goes out and performs and and, and tweaking this list throughout the spring is, is going to be a blast. And I really can't wait for it. And getting on this podcast and talking to you about these players, Peter has me even more fired up. So if you guys are as fired up about college baseball, the draft cycle starting to get really rolling here, uh, let us know. Send us any questions. Maybe we'll do a mailbag at some point before oh, the yeah. season gets off. If you guys have any like questions about players, questions about the class as a whole, questions for Peter or me specifically, like I think that could be fun to do as well. So yeah, let us know, give us some feedback on the show. Um, what do you guys want to hear? Uh, we'll do our best to bring it to you because these podcasts are going to keep coming in the new year. Um, Peter, anything you want to plug before we get out of here? Yeah, that was per. I love the idea of a mailbag. My DMS on Twitter are open. So again, feel free to, to slide in there with what you want to hear, or even just to chop it up. I, I mean, we say it all the time. We go for hours on this thing, but I'm happy mm-hmm. to chop it up even in my DMS, but um, I'm really excited for what's to come. I've got one more freshman spotlight piece tomorrow. I could really keep going with them, but um, <laughs> this guy I felt like I, I omitted initially, and it's Dylan Vig from the University of Michigan. Um, he's going to be in their weekend rotation as a freshman and, and maybe even their headliner, um, and he's got Big Ten freshman of the year type stuff and, and type ability, so That'll be out by the time you're listening to this. And then looking to next week, I'm going to have out a, not necessarily a top 10, but similar to the coaching board, the assistant coaching hot board I did, um, just 10 mid-major non-power five draft guys. And I hate the the non-power five and the mid-major label, but I literally don't know what else to title it other than that. Hey, so it's yeah, people, be, people know what you're talking about. I don't, I don't think it's, it's as much of a It's going to be guys that aren't like ACC, think. SEC, Pac-12, so like yeah. spoiler alert, it's going to be Sirota, <laughs> you savage, guys like that. So those are immediately down the pike, and then continuing with both the draft podcast, um, both in the off season and then through the draft cycle, and mm. getting back into the college podcast with Teddy. So in your feeds, you will have 
on Thursdays, the college pod, and then on Fridays, the draft pod. Yeah, beautiful. It should get you set up for, for each weekend uh, in college baseball. Uh, on my end, and I think Peter will be helping out with a number of these things, but we'll have uh, a top 200 draft expansion coming for the 24 class prior to the college season. We've got our preseason All-America ballots out. Scouting directors are currently voting on those, so preseason All-America teams for college and high school will be out in the next month or so. Uh, I'm excited to do some pieces, plotting contact, exit velocity, chase rates among college hitters. I also want to look into some maybe fastball shape analysis for college pitchers. Uh, I think that could be fun. We'll maybe have some posts on sleepers, guys who could jump up this spring. I know you guys always love sleepers. Uh, We put out a ranking of a a top 100, and you guys want to know who's 101 and 102. So definitely feels like it'll be worth doing a post like that. Maybe me and Peter can... Uh, try and come up with a few players and, and see who has the better sleepers. But um, certainly lots of content coming for BA. January is always a, a huge month for us on the site, uh, on the amateur side, and on the pro side as well. I mean, the top 100 will be coming out shortly. I think after I get off this podcast, actually, I have to send in my top 150 for our for our preliminary top 100 meeting. Um, so tons of stuff for that. I think top 30s are going to be coming out. The handbook, um, I think this month, at some point, the digital version of the prospect handbook will be available. So if you guys are, are drafting for fantasy and you want that information, or you're just really itching to get your hands on the prospect handbook in general, uh, definitely order that through us at Baseball America um, on the online store. You can have that in your hands pretty quickly. I don't know the exact date that's coming out, but I've been told it's January. So at some point this month, that will be ready for you as well as a ton of other stuff. So thank you guys for hanging out. Thanks for listening. Um, He's Peter. I'm Carlos. We'll see you guys next week. So long.